Well, good evening. It's good to see all of you tonight. Thank you so much for being here on our Monday, Thursday service. And as you can see, we're going to be doing things just a little bit different tonight. And uh, we've actually been planning this service since last year on Monday, Thursday. And uh, we are just excited to have you here. And we know that this is going to be just a time for us to come together, to slow down, to take a deep breath, to sing, to pray, to open God's word, and just really reflect on what this week is all about. How does that sound? And, um, and I'm excited to have uh, each and every one of you here. And really, truly, uh, this service, a lot like uh, Thanksgiving Eve, is really when the core of our church comes out, honestly. So I always feel like this is like a really intimate family type of evening. And uh, if this is your first time here, I'm so glad that you came. Maybe you're new to Shepherd's Gate and you're like, what is this Monday, Thursday stuff all about? I know how you feel when I first came here 14 years ago. I didn't grow up going to Monday, thir uh, Thursday services. And so um, I had to learn along the way. But I'm telling you, I know you're going to be blessed by tonight. And you might be wondering, what is Monday? What does that mean? And I want to show you here um, on the screens. It's really the Latin word for command, which means uh, madam there, which is, which is also the word for mandate. And the term mandate is actually connected to John 13, 34, which is a passage that we often look to on Monday, Thursday. And it's this, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another, even as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then after he says these words, he ends up going and he washes the disciples' feet. So not only does he give them the command, he shows them how they are to serve each other. And typically on Monday, Thursday, there's about four different topics that get covered that we kind of rotate, you know, um, throughout the years. One is the focus on what happens leading up to the Passover meal as Jesus is sharing the meal and instituting communion with his disciples. And so there's a lot of uh, things that you can dig into on that. Uh, another approach that we've taken is actually just focusing on communion and what it means and what how God took something that was, you know, Jesus took something that was instituted for centuries and then changed the whole thing and what it means to us today. Uh, sometimes we focus on the foot washing, and so we dig into the text in John about that, and we kind of explore what that means. And still other times we'll say, you know what, let's just go straight to the garden and let's talk about Jesus and the garden and the disciples and kind of dig into that text. But there's one text, in fact, it's one sentence in all of the Monday Thursday narrative that we never seem to focus on. In fact, if, if you read through it, it's oftentimes just kind of read through kind of quick without a lot of thought put into it. And so tonight, we thought we would do something a little different, at least in my years here, we've never done this before, that we would focus on that one sentence and we would see what God would speak to us tonight. And so rather than just showing you the one sentence on the screen, I want you to open your Bibles. Okay, so if you brought your Bibles, great. Uh, if you have a Bible app on your phone, that's awesome too. Or you can grab the Bibles if you're in the front row, they're underneath. Or the ones in front of you, and it's page 832. And this one sentence just happens to be nestled between Jesus instituting Holy Communion and right before, the before Jesus and the disciples go out to pray. See, we know that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, and we read in the Gospels how Jesus grieved, and he prayed, and he hungered, and he fasted, and he taught, and he preached, and he told stories, that he actually experienced every human feeling emotion that we experience on this earth, that he went through every single 
pain that we go through on this earth. And one thing that we don't really talk about is Jesus singing, right? But what did Jesus sing? And what would it have been like to hear Jesus sing? The only time we're told that Jesus sang was right before Gethsemane and Golgotha. And only two of the Gospels mention that Jesus actually sang, and they both say the exact same thing. But we're going to look at Matthew's account. And if you go to Mark, you'll find the same exact sentence in Mark. But it says this, Matthew 26, 30. Look at your Bibles there. It says, and when they had sung a they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, what hymn did they sing? Anybody know? And leave your Bibles open, okay? Because we're going to go back in a few minutes. What did they sing? You imagine Judas is gone, right? He's the betrayer. He's already out of the picture. It's Jesus and these 11 guys, 12 guys in a room, and they're singing. Did they know how to sing? Did Jesus have a beautiful voice? Was Peter off key? You know, like, what did they sound like? If you go to the complete Jewish Bible, Matthew 26, 30, it actually reads this way, after singing the halah. And so for centuries before the first Monday, Thursday, the Jewish people always sang the halah at the Passover meal. In fact, observant Jews still do this to the, today. And you might be wondering, well, how do you know it's the Passover meal? And if you rewind just a few verses in your Bibles that are open there, look at verse 17 to 19. Starting in verse 17, it says this. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Isn't it interesting? We talked a little bit about this on Sunday, how God or Jesus just always has things lined up, and he just tells the disciples, hey, go talk to this person, and this person will understand. And then there they are in verse 20. It says, when it was evening, he was reclined at the table with the 12. And so here's kind of a picture um, that I was able to find on Google. Thank God they had a picture from back then, right? <laughs> so here's Jesus with the disciples, and they would lay on the ground, okay? And this was just their custom and their form of eating. Now, Passover was used three times in that text, right? Three times in that verse. So I think it would be safe for us to say that's exactly what the disciples thought they were getting ready to do. And they would have followed what would have been customary for them to do for this meal. And the Passover always started at sundown. And so here's the liturgy that they would follow for this meal. Everyone would recline low at the table, okay? They would begin the meal just like we began our meals with a blessing. And then they would drink their first glass of wine, okay? Some of you might do that, right? And so they would pass around this first cup of wine. They would share it together green and bitter herbs, along with the fruit pear sauce, would also be served. And then the head of the house would read out of Exodus the story of God delivering his children, the Israelites, from the Egyptians. They would then sing part of the halal. A second glass of wine would be shared, and some scholars would say this is when they believe that Jesus instituted communion, but we're not sure, we don't know for sure. They would say another prayer, they would eat the unleavened bread. They would eat the Passover lamb. A third cup of wine would be passed around. Eating would come to an end, and then they would sing the last part of the halal. They would sing the last part of the hymn. Now, all of this, this hymn, this halal, is actually found in Psalm 113 to 118. 
So now, unless Jesus and his 11 Jewish disciples ignored the traditions which they had literally been celebrating for centuries, we can probably safely assume they sang Psalm 113 to 118 that night. And what's so interesting is we kind of have the same traditions, don't we? I mean, they would have known this. Jesus would have done this as a child with his parents. They would have done this together as disciples. I mean, we do the same thing with the songs that we have in our lives and our traditions. Like, for example, birthday parties, right? Every birthday party that I've been to follows the same order, the same liturgy. You show up, the host gives you something to drink, then the host feeds you, usually pizza, right? Because it's usually a kid's birthday party. Then what happens? Right? More drinks, right? Then they bring the cake out and they put the thing on fire. They dim the lights. And do you ever notice we sing the same exact song, whether you're one years old or a hundred years old? For centuries, we sing the same exact, why is it? Birthday, how come no one's written Christian? How come no one's written a new birthday song. It's happy birthday. You know the song. And we sing the same exact song. Everyone devours cake and ice cream. We watch someone open their presents and then everyone leaves. Well, the same was true for them. I mean, this stuff was ingrained in their heads. They knew exactly the protocol to follow. They knew exactly what was coming next. But yet the disciples had no no idea what Jesus was about to do with the Passover meal and the new meaning he was going to attach to it. And to think from that moment on, Jesus with 11 guys, think about this, Jesus with 11 guys instituted something so powerful for us that millions and millions and millions of people today celebrate this in Holy Communion, which is what we're going to do tonight as well. Now, as I mentioned before, they would sing part of the uh, halal at the beginning, the verses 113 and 114, and then they would switch uh, to singing the second part later on in the meal. And I want us to kind of get an idea of what this uh, could possibly sound like, just like for us for happy birthday or kind of the sound. And so I had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple years ago and we were in a hospital and we were actually uh, visiting some wounded soldiers and uh, his friends and his family had actually gathered around this soldier and they were singing a song. They were singing from the Psalms. Uh, and the whole idea is they're trying to, they're trying to you know, let him know that, that he's loved and that, you know, uh, that they're glad that he's safe. And so they're seeing these things as kind of an encouragement to them. And it's a very short clip, but I want you to kind of watch this tonight so you kind of get an idea of what it might have sounded like with Jesus and his disciples. So not only was singing a big part of the Jewish culture, but dancing was as well. And we're going to do that next year, okay? So come back next year. I've already talked to Herb and Kathy Dula, and we'll all go in. No, I'm just kidding. There's actually a lot of scriptures on dancing, believe it or not. It'd be actually be kind of fun to do. But I want us to look now at Psalm 113. It's in your chair, Bibles. I want you to flip to page 510. And I'm not going to read all of Psalm 113 to 118, because tonight we're going to take time, we're going to have an extended time of worship, as I said at the beginning. But I want to highlight just a few key verses throughout this song that they would have sang. And here's the lens that I want you to to look through tonight. As, As we look at just a few verses that I kind of pulled from these chapters, think about what must have been going through Jesus's mind. 
because he knew exactly what was waiting for him that night. He knew exactly what was waiting for him the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's kind of sobering to read the words that he would have sang. And the way that they sang back then is he actually, because he was the leader, he would have started the song and then they would have come in with hallelujah and then they would have together sang uh, portions of the song. So even though we're reading it, they were actually singing these words. And I want you to look at verse 4 to 6 and 113. Think about Jesus and just the lens of what he knows that he's about to go through. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? And do you think as he was singing this, just that first stanza as they're beginning the meal, that, he, that just the reminder of just remember, God is watching you. Your heavenly father is with you and he's gonna see you through this. I want to show you another passage here. In, in uh, chapter 116, 1 to 2, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. And you can't help but ask yourself, man, was this just a reminder of when he was about to go to the garden and he was going to cry for God's mercy? Was this just kind of a reminder when we know that when he hung on the cross and he said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That just maybe this was one last chance to be reminded in God's word and that his heavenly father was watching over him. And even just a few verses later in verse 15 of that same chapter, and we so often read this text at funerals, it says, precious is the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What did that mean for Jesus that night? How did that impact his life? Let me show you a couple more. In, verse, or in chapter 118, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. <laughs> what can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Was Judas's mind running through his head when he was singing this part of the psalm? Were the people that were about to spew lies, the religious leaders, the people that he was trying to convince over and over and over again that, that God actually truly loved him and that they just weren't doing it the way that God wanted them to do it and he was constantly uh, just battling them? Was it the soldiers and those who were gonna beat and mock and spit on him? Were those people in his mind and it was just like, listen, what can man do to me? Remember, man can't do anything to you. The Lord is on your side as your helper, and even those that hate you, God will triumph over them. And then finally, these verses. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Remember, Jesus, this isn't the end for you, that God is going to raise you from the dead. Even though you're going to go through this excruciating pain, you're going to go through this excruciating process, God is with you. And then ultimately, this last verse here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Man, there's such strength in that passage. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Wait a second. Let's remember what this is all about. 
that God's the one that set these things in motion, that from the creation of the world, that God knew that he would have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. This is, in fact, God's doing, and it's marvelous in his eyes because he knew that he was going to send him, and he wanted to send Jesus for you and for me. That even though Good Friday is as dark and as bleak and as awful and as painful as it is, that that day is a day that the Lord has made in addition to all the other days that he's made and that we can rejoice and we can be glad in it because of what he has done for us. And that tonight we get the opportunity, as the disciples did then, to allow Jesus to be our worship leader to lead us in song and praise to our Father. And that, in fact, Jesus would lead us in rejoicing to our Father. It is Jesus who leads us tonight. And as I said, Christian and uh, the team that he has assembled tonight has been working hard to put together a lot of different worship songs. And we want you to know, and we want you to have the freedom tonight. If you want to stand, you can stand. If there's points that you want to sit, you can sit. If you even want to, ready for this, and I know this is you know a Lutheran church, you can move around the room. You can switch seats and go to different places. Um, one of the things I would encourage you to do if you want to do this is keep the Bible that you have, right, uh, open in front of you. And if at some point after you've sang a couple songs, if you want to read through Psalm 113 to 118, this is what I would tell you to do. Read it all through once. It's not that hard to read through those chapters. And then go back and read it again and read every verse and just slowly meditate and allow God to speak to you through his word tonight. And I think God's just going to do something incredible in here. And so again, I'm just so excited that, to have you here tonight. And now as we get to kind of move into a time of worship. So you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have brought us here tonight. This year on this holy week. On this Monday, Thursday. That God, we would reflect on your goodness and your grace in our lives. And God, even just the fact that you sang with your disciples, that you sang these words, that you knew what lie ahead for you, but that, God, even in those words, you tell us to rejoice, to be glad, to know once again that you are seated high on your throne, that you are truly in control. And God, tonight we just ask, we know that so many of us have been running in different directions all week. We know that so, so many of us have just experienced so much. Even today, would you just push all of the distractions aside? Would your peace just begin to surround this room and surround our hearts and our lives? And now, God, as we open our mouths, as we sing to you, as we, God, meditate on you, that, God, your peace, your presence would just surround us. So, God, we just ask for your presence, your peace now in this time, in this place. We just love you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.